Okie folks, welcome to the Roots Report podcast, presented by Motif Magazine and sponsored by Providence Brewing Company, the Rhode Island Blood Center, Providence Ballet Theater, Trinity Brewhouse, CIC Providence, and R1 Indoor Karting. I am your host, John Fusick. Today we have five times Grammy Award winning blues artist, Robert Cray. Cray will be at the Narrow Center for the Arts on February 28th.
this is Robert Craig calling for John Fizek. Hi, Robert. This is John. How are you? I'm good. How are you? So, in reading about you, one of the things I read, which was a very interesting bit of trivia, is that you were in Animal House. True. That is pretty cool. I uh, That's one of my favorite movies. I saw that in the movies when it came out, and you were in Otis Day's band, and you were the bass player in Otis Day's band. Exactly. I borrowed Richard Cousins' bass. He's our bass player at that time. We were living in Eugene, Oregon, where they filmed most of the movie. And... Um, we were playing a gig one one night at a club, and a lady asked me if I wanted to be in a movie, and I said, sure, right. <laughs> but then she, I gave her all my info, and a couple months later, they gave me a call, and I was out on the road and made it back on a Sunday night for rehearsals. On And on Monday, we started shooting on the set for like three days. That is pretty cool. That's one of the most iconic movies around that, you know, of my age group anyway. Yeah. That's yeah. that's something I did not know about you. I mean, I, I, knew, <laughs> I know you as a phenomenal guitar player and singer and it's just that little bit of empty i was like wow that's pretty cool well there's a whole lot that goes along with that too because you know when belushi was in town is when he got exposed to uh our good friend curtis salgado who's a singer on his own his own right records for alligator but curtis and i were in a band that we had it was a combination of his band called the nighthawks out of eugene and the cray band and we called ourselves Crayhawks, and we'd work Monday nights at the Eugene Hotel, where Belushi came in and saw Curtis wearing the sunglasses and the little taint under his bottom lip, and copied that and became good friends with Curtis, and Curtis schooled him on the blues and whatnot, and then the Blues Brothers was born. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. So I've seen you a few times. I, I think I met you briefly when you played Rhythm and Roots Festival in, in Charleston, Rhode Island, many years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen you quite a few times. I, I enjoy your shows. As a guitar player, I, I look up to your playing as well. And you, you have your own signature uh, Fender guitars as well, don't you? That's true, yes. Uh-huh. That, that's always an honor when somebody creates a guitar of your signature style. Yeah, it is. It's, it's really a nice, really nice honor. Yeah. And, and you're a five-time Grammy winner, which is pretty damn cool, too. Well, thank you. You were just hoisted with accolades. You're a member of the Blues <laughs> Hall of Fame. You've just got all kinds of things. And you've played with some amazing people. I mean, this is on top of being an amazing player yourself. And, and you really have a great voice, too. That's, that's the thing that's overlooked about you is your voice. You have this really smooth, really... S- soulful voice that most people talk about your guitar playing but your your voice is amazing as well no thank you thanks and you've played with some great people you played with chuck berry keith richards albert collins johnny lee hooker you've played with muddy waters buddy guy eric clapton i mean you've played with some amazing people that means i'm getting older <laughs> well you are turning 70 this year which is is a milestone a friend of mine just turned 70 so uh do you anticipate doing this for a long period of time i until i can't do it anymore i mean i'm having a lot of fun playing and that's what it's all that's what it how it started off and that's how it's continuing to go so yeah i look forward to it well you're quite busy you're out you're out most of the you know next six months and you from what I'd see on your schedule, you wind up in Paris in May, which is nothing to snooze about. No. That's pretty great. One of the people that I, I really respect that you played with is Muddy Waters. I, I was thrilled to meet him back in the 70s, which was very cool. Muddy, Muddy was fantastic. I mean, you know, we got to play like six 
shows with Muddy. Wow. And uh, I was invited to sing the encore, which was Manish Boy. Oh, wow. That's and, very uh, cool. Then, you know, at, at all the shows, we sat backstage and I got the chat mm. before and after the shows, you know, because just like you, I'm, I'm a huge fan. Mm. And uh, I was like, you know, just, buddy, what about this? What about that? And all that. He was really open and frank, and it was pretty cool. Now, I, I one the, the time that I saw him, and I know that you have issues with Eric Clapton at this point, but Eric Clapton was a big part of your early career, too. Was, but uh, I know that you recently had some issues with him over his him and Van Morrison's song, which I had issues with as well. But um, one of the best and dumbest things that Eric Clapton ever did was have Muddy Waters open for him. The reason I say that is because I was a huge Eric Clapton fan until that day when I saw Muddy Waters open for Eric Clapton. Then I was like, no one can touch Muddy Waters. Eric Clapton <laughs> just doesn't cut it. After, after you see Muddy Waters, you see the real deal. And it's yeah. like, that was that. And then you see Eric Clapton come up and it was like, yeah, no. <laughs> It's never been the same since, and it was just, I was blessed to be able to see Muddy Waters, and that, at such a young, I was 16 when I met Muddy, and he was such a gentleman, he was such a nice guy, and it was just to see him play was like one of the treats of my lifetime. Which... It's, it, it, it was a treat, it, it, it was, and, it, and I, I agree with it 100%, it was a treat, you know, we were so lucky to be able to see him. And one of the things that you did, which I didn't know either, is you played with Stevie Ray Vaughan at his very last show, and he died later that night. Right. That... Right. Is a drag. I mean, that's a, an honor to have played with him and to play with him, but to not know, I mean, to play with him in his last show, that's going to be a, uh, a mind screw yeah. right there. Well, we, we had we had done a lot of shows together in the past. You know, we, we met at the San Francisco Blues Festival in 1979, so we were friends for a long while. But yeah, and then, you know, we were part of Eric Clapton's show. There was there was two shows he did at the Alpine Valley two nights. So, you know, I hadn't seen him for a while, and that was right, you know, right when he was getting a lot of exposure. Mm. His records had come, had come out, and they had Jimmy and, and um, Stevie had recorded the Brothers album, but it hadn't been released. It was all inside the um, so, you know, it was sad. It's really sad. Yeah, I remember that very well. I mean, I had I was a fan of Stevie Ray back then. In fact, he had done a show in the cafeteria of the college that I went to, and he played with a local guy. I mean, I'm sure you know it was uh, Duke Robillard. Yeah. And uh, him and Duke, uh, after the show, just sat on the edge of the stage and were jamming, jammed the night out. So mm -hmm. that was kind of a memorable experience to see that yeah. as well. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was a drag when he died. It's just, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm glad I got to see him a few times, too. I mean, that's the one good thing about being old is you've got to see the real guys, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's one of the things I, I feel honored to be is, I mean, I'm not, I'm 62. I'm not ancient, but I'm getting up there. But I did get to see a lot of the groups, and I'm glad because there's a lot of music now that I don't really care about. And it's just because, you know, it doesn't touch music that was produced in the past i mean it's just it doesn't have the doesn't have the soul of, of older music it's, yeah it's, it's, it's soul. yeah it's a lot different i mean it's we like you said we're we're fortunate to see muddy you know all, all the all the my 
heroes anyway. Right, right. I mean, be able to see them and touch them and feel their music and 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 get their passion from the music that they they, they did, you know. Well, and uh, it's it different. It's 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 a lot different for the younger generation these days. I mean, they just have you know they have the records, but they also are surrounded by the current scene of music today, which really does the pop music scene really does lack a lot of soul in my opinion oh it's it's plastic so, it's very yeah plastic. so and everybody's a big star right away before they even have done any work mm. so that's a good way of putting it. I noticed that. I mean, I'm. I mean, I'm always looking for gigs and looking at places to play. So I'm always, you know, perusing venues and such. And I see people, and I get these. E- I, because I write, I get emails about so and so's debut album is this phenomenal thing, and it's like, you know, they make a big deal about this debut album that nobody's ever heard of. It's all PR. It's it's a lot of PR, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of hype with no substance behind it. And you know, yeah. even even the promo photos that I see, I mean, they're all like these really cool bands and stuff and it's just all the PR and all the slick and all the glamour it just doesn't the hype doesn't match up to the music and it's just no it doesn't it's sad yeah it is sad and you know the thing too also it's like a lot of the, the younger groups and whatnot don't have this the venues to hone their craft and you know and I'm not trying to lay down any you know things but back in our day <laughs> well, look, you've been playing we, you know, we, seven, you've been out playing with you know since 74 I mean, you've yeah. been at this for 46 years. I mean, yeah. 40, well, almost 50 years, actually. And, it, you know, I keep losing track of what you were <laughs> Yeah. And the, in the early days, we had, you know, the club dates where you right. do three, three and four sets a night. Right. Three or four or five days a week, you know. Right. And then, and a lot of that can't happen really much anymore because they don't have that those amount of venues anymore. But then again, it, what's happening now speaks to the way the American system works where, like, you know, every, everybody wants everything all at once right now. Exactly. They don't you know, want it's it. like it's, it's like ordering from Amazon yesterday and expecting it today. Right, right. I mean, I, I had this discussion with somebody the other day. It's about, and I, I, I don't want to be like this guy who gets on millennials, but one of the things that there was a joke for the longest time is they got the participation trophies and they got kudos for everything they did. And they don't understand rejection or uh, being said no to or having to work their way up. They just were given everything without question just because they didn't want their parents or whatever didn't want to disappoint them and they don't understand how many times you have to be said no to or how many times somebody has to tell you you suck to go out and do it better and go and back and rehearse for a few more years and come back when you're ready not these overnight youtube stars who puts one three minute song on youtube and all of a sudden as a as a phenomenal has got millions of hits but they don't have that they don't have that core you know, solid backing that years of garage band and playing in shitty clubs and playing to like one person and coming home with no money after a gig. And, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, it. you've done it. I've done it. I I know all those gigs. Yeah. I mean, I've done those gigs where you play to like nobody, you drive three, four, five, six hours to a gig. You play to nobody. You drive home and you get up and go to work the next day. I mean, I've done mm-hmm. it. And the people who it builds character, it builds like it, it makes you in it for the right reason because you you endure all that stuff and you come out stronger on the other side. Exactly. You know, it's, it. it's sad. I mean, yeah. you know, I hate to sound like an old fart because some people's you know I've got this curmudgeon-y kind of demeanor, but it's you know it is true. Oh, they say that about me too. <laughs> 
Well, I probably will really like you then, because I tend to gravitate towards curmudgeons. <laughs> so you've got twenty albums out, and that's that's pretty damn good. And you're uh, well, from what I can tell, I you know your last album is called "That's What I Heard." Is that correct? That is correct. on a new record label, I think, or 
Nozzle that's, Records, I believe. Well, Nozzle is my label. Oh, it's your label. And, uh, yeah, and we've put out several on Nozzle, but it's it's a it's a released with uh, Thirty Tigers. Okay. And, yeah. And so, how do you do with your own label as opposed to major labels that you've had in the past? How do how do we do with it? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I we we do something on my label every so often. We've done maybe we did uh, about three or four records on. Our, our label and 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 and, uh, and released by others like Vanguard or Thirty Tigers or off the top of my head I can't remember else but yeah we've done a few on my label and it's it's good I mean you know it, it works out good and it's nice to have your own <laughs> your own label we're due you know because we recorded uh, that's what I heard back in 2019 and we released it in February of 2020 and you know the rest of the story oh, yes, yes so we're we're gonna you know we're gonna hopefully get some time this year to go back into the studio and I, we'll, we'll see how we do it again. It might be on nozzle and 30 tigers, or it could be with another label. We haven't decided that as of, as of yet. So Keith Richards invited you to be part of the band uh, with a hail, hail rock and roll film. That, that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How was that experience for you? That must've been a, a uh, as well. Oh yeah. It was, it was fantastic. Of course, you know, like at that time, I was the new kid on the block, so to speak, you know. And right before Strong Persuader was released, but they had, you know, Keith and Eric Clapton had been big fans before that. So Keith had invited me. You know, it was pretty cool to be at the rehearsals and, you know, with everybody there, Etta James and the band, Steve Jordan. That's when my first worked with Steve. You know, it was just every time you turn around, <laughs> there was a star. Yeah. Now, was it, was it a very... What was the atmosphere like? Was it a room? The full atmosphere of was. Or was it a room full of no, like, really chill people? No, it was. Everybody was pretty chill, and Chuck was always, as you've seen and heard, that Chuck was always a little bit weary of of all that was going on around him, and treated Keith like he was a little schoolboy or his <laughs> child, you know. And here's Keith trying to do this tribute to his one of his heroes, you know, and and treating him as such. You know, it's funny. You know, Chuck was kind of untrusting, but he gravitated towards me because I'm the black kid and the new kid on the scene, right? right? Come on, Robert, let's go have coffee. And so we'd <laughs> sit, and, you know, and that kind of thing. And up until the day of the show, you know, I'd rehearsed, I don't know, three or four numbers to do at the show. And then the, the day of the show, I got my set list and the order and everything like that. And I'm sitting next to Eric and he looks over at my list and he goes, how do you rate? Because <laughs> I had more songs that even once I hadn't even played on <laughs> or rehearsed. <laughs> and Keith, I mean, the check had done that on purpose just to piss people off. I mean, it, it was funnier than hell. I like this got an impression on him, which is pretty really cool. Yeah, it, it all got it all got sorted, but you know, Chuck was a trip. Oh wow! Yeah. So I got to ask this because a lot of the guitar players I've talked to have amassed great collections of guitars. I mean, Joe Bonamassa was one of the biggest collections I've, of people I've talked to. How many guitars do you own? Not as many as any anybody would think. I'm not a collector really i have you know i have some guitars i mostly playing guitars yeah mostly playing guitars and i probably have about 40 or something like that maybe no that's not many that's 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 understandable that's an understandable amount yeah i think joe bonamassa had almost 500 rick nielsen had close to that and they had like these vintage hard to get guitars and which is kind of cool but yeah it's cool i mean you know if you got like the huge ducats you know (laughs) 
to do that. I mean, that's what that's all about. And right, then, right. You know, but it's you know, it's 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 it happens. If that's your thing, that's cool. Well, at least they play guitar. A lot of people nowadays buy guitars, hang them on the wall, and just drive the prices up so players can't afford them. So right, right, which is a shame. Mm -hmm. Do you do any acoustic stuff at all? Ever? I haven't heard anything, and I'm sure you. No, I'm not really acoustic blues player. I mean, I have some acoustic guitars, but I'm not an acoustic blues player. I'm all I'm all wired up. Uh, my friend is uh he loves to play 12 string acoustic blues like huddy Ledbetter, mm-hmm. and he, he loves to do all those old blues uh lead belly songs those are cool songs oh yeah yeah he's a yeah fan. I, I made him a t-shirt of lead belly which was pretty he, he really thought that was cool that's great i mean there are a lot of young kids who don't even know who lead belly is so mm-hmm. which is a shame too because well there's a lot there's a lot of music out there you know oh there is. i mean and i'm sure i mean i'm a musician and i've been in music for 50 years and you know i've been playing since i was you know in my adolescence and you know i i know a lot of obscure people but i still don't you know i mean i know duke robillard uh you know he's got like all these vintage 78s that he you know goes out and looks for songs and mm-hmm. uh paul jeremiah who was a rhode islander used to go out and collect all these obscure blues songs because he was an acoustic blues player and mm-hmm. he would find all these obscure old albums that were recorded in the 20s of these blues players and he you know resurrect these songs do you ever do anything like that where you resurrect old blues songs um not super old stuff i mean you know we've we've done some covers but you know like i mentioned we you know we're like you know i'm electric so we're not doing anything by magic sam or you know or otis rush or somebody like that well i mean like you know a lot of people when they discovered Robert Johnson came, you know, you know they turned uh, all these blues songs into into know, electric. So. And no, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't done anything like that. Well, mm-hmm. like I said, everybody does their own thing, and it's you know it's yeah. where you come from. So you're playing at the Narrows on February 28th. What is your show expected to be like? Well, I mean, we what we do on a nightly basis is there's a there's a different set list every night. Oh, so. really? That must be interesting. yeah. You know, with a few favorites always. So you know, after all these records, like he's mentioned, the, the book gets bigger hmm. all the time so we change we change stuff up to uh you know just keep some of those songs fresh and play different songs for people when we come back through you know now how long of a show do you usually do do you take an intermission or do you play straight through and no we play straight through it usually runs 90 minutes okay. now i mean i know a lot of people know you for your your hit smoking gun is that a staple of your sets or no it is not a staple of the set no. how come uh well smoking gun it's kind of it's We've kind of run it to the ground, and then also, <laughs> <laughs> and then also, I mean, I'm not gonna go out and I don't want to sing that song anymore because of the the content of the lyric. Oh, okay, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's today, it's it's kind of a you know anything with gun can be a touchy subject. Yeah, yeah, and it's understandable. It's a great mm-hmm. song, though. I mean, it's got a great groove to it. Yeah, it's a it's a it's, it was a fun song to do, but you know when you start thinking about it and it's singing the lyric, I'm not going to go out there. And do that. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's I don't blame you. It's it's yeah, it's run its course. Yeah, that's that's you know it's understandable, and hopefully people understand that because I mean I remember going to a Neil Young show and you know walking home after the, the show down the I was in the Boston Garden or something like that and walking down the stairs and hearing people say Oh, I didn't play Heart of Gold. That sucks. Just they grumbled and groaned, and it's just. <laughs> 
like, you know, they're going to play what they want to play, and you got to be into what you're playing, and if you're forcing out songs just to satisfy people, it doesn't always work. It doesn't always work, no. You want to be true to your art, you want to be a true performer, and you want to maintain yeah. the, the honesty in what you're playing. Yeah, and and that's one of the reasons why we changed the set list, you know. You, you can't do the, you can't go out year after year and play the same songs. It just, it's not good for us, it's not good for you. <laughs> yeah, you end up going through the motions, and you know, exactly. you, don't want to, you don't want to leave like Millie Vanilli on stage, just, you know, you're playing the music, but there's nothing behind it. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's totally understandable. We've got about a minute left. Anything else you want to add about your show coming up in the, at the Narrows and Fall River? Well, just look forward to coming and playing. You know, it's always, every time we get an opportunity to play, it's another opportunity to have fun. I, I love the Narrows. I've played there about a dozen times at this point. It's one of my favorite venues to play. We actually just had to cancel our show last month uh, because of COVID, which is no fun. But That is no fun. I had a bout with it last summer when we were in Europe, and they made me stay in a hotel room for six days. Oh, wow. That's a drag. Yeah. So uh, then we had we lost about five shows too. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a drag. It's, it's inconvenient. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yes. Well, hopefully we all stay healthy until then. I look forward to February twenty eighth at the Narrows, and hopefully I'll see you then. Thank you, John. Thank you very much for the conversation. Thank you for having me.
is over and the morning's on my face Go from me softly, leave without a trace Don't take my heart with you Don't take my heart with you Thanks to Robert Cray for being part of this episode of the Roots Report podcast. Cray will be at the Narrow Center for the Arts on February 28th. For more, take a midnight stroll over to narrowcenter.org. The Roots Report podcast is presented by Motif Magazine and sponsored by Providence Brewing Company, the Rhode Island Blood Center, Providence Ballet Theater, Trinity Brewhouse, CIC Providence, and R1 Indoor Karting. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 